excited. Hey, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 today. If you have your Bible or your phone or your tablet, however you follow along, Ephesians chapter 6, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you forgot your Bible or you would like a Bible, just wave at them and they'll give you one. We have passed out more than 500 Bibles since our church began just like this. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't know where yours is, just put your name in it. This is yours to keep so you can follow along today and then bring it back with you next week when you come and read it when you go home. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind you. Pull out your sermon notes from inside uh, your bulletin. They look something like this so you can follow along. And today we come to message number five in a seven-message series on all things supernatural. Basically how to channel the supernatural power of God into our lives as we try to live for Jesus. And we're, we're not going to get more than one word into our text today before we're going to have to stop and, uh, and just do a little bit of studying So we can understand what we're reading. Galatians, Ephesians, there it is. Ephesians chapter 6 starts this way in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Paul says this word. What does it say in your translation? Anybody? Finally. He says finally. Now I've tried to to teach you that when you read a word like this in scripture, you've got to put it in context. Clearly this is not a standalone message. He, He basically is saying when he says finally... He's saying, I've come to the last point of my message, but really you need to understand the message in order to go further. So we're getting ready to read the last point. We're getting ready to study the last, and at this time, I believe the most important part of Paul's message to the church of Ephesians. But before we jump into finally, we should know what preceded finally. So the book of Ephesians has two sections. We won't go deep into it. But I just want you to understand where Paul is moving towards. The first three chapters of Ephesians, or six chapters, uh, are, are purely theological truth. And a lot of them have to do with basically salvation theology, how a person gives their life to Jesus, how a person reconciles himself to God, how a person establishes a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is about. The second section or the the second three chapters of the book of Ephesians is just practical Christian living. It's just Paul saying, hey, here's some things you should know so that you can live your Christian life well. I want you to know these things so you know how to how to be a Christian. And if you were to look at our church, the heartbeat of our church is helping people develop spiritually. The heartbeat of our church, one of our core values is spiritual growth, which means this. If thousands of people come to our church, but no one is growing spiritually, we have failed. We want to teach people not just to come to church. We want to teach people not just how to begin a relationship with Jesus. We want to teach people how to live their life with Jesus. I got an email this week uh, from a lady in our church just talking about this series and what this series has done in the life of her family. And she said, Christian, when my 15-year-old says during a service that he wants to be there next Sunday for a sermon you're describing, that is miraculous. Keep up the good work. Journey has truly blessed my family and Lee Summit with the spiritual gifts and sacrifices that you all make each day to bring us closer to living the life Jesus intended. We are trying at our church to help you live your life as Jesus intended. And that's what Paul was intending for the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. He was trying to teach them how to live their lives spiritually. And if we look at his text, and if, if we were to go on your, on your sermon notes, you'll see the words, Back to the Future, you'll see that this may have been the greatest book, the greatest sermon, the greatest truth that any pastor has ever given to any congregation, because we see 30-plus years after this book was written. We see Jesus in the book of Revelation write a letter to the church at Ephesus, and Jesus basically says 30 years later, 
you all are doing a great job of living for Jesus spiritually. You know how to be a Christian. Now, I want you to think about that. If a message, if, if today's message not only impacted you, but it impacted your children, and it impacted your grandchildren so deeply that three generations from now, somebody was sitting in church and they said, man, the people of Journey Church International, the grandkids of that first group that celebrated that two-year anniversary, man, they really know how to walk with Jesus. We would say that this was an important message. And we know in the church of Ephesus, this, marriage, this message was carried on by probably the greatest pastors that had ever lived. We know the church at Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul. He was their first pastor. And then he sent, according to Scripture, his apprentice. His name was Timothy. He sent Timothy to Ephesus to lead the Ephesian church so that they would know how to live for Jesus. And then we find out through church history that the Apostle John, Jesus' youngest disciple, who walked and talked with Jesus for, for three years ended up pastoring this church until he died. Church history says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to this church. This is where she went to church and eventually died. I mean, this church had it going on. I mean, can you imagine having your pastors be the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and the Apostle John? Can you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, being one of the women's ministry small group leaders at your church? I mean, this, this church had it going on, and it began really with this letter. Of Paul saying in the second half of Ephesians, like, here's some advice for practical Christian living. What kind of advice did he give? Let me, let me just run you through it quickly. This isn't the kind of the, the gold of today's message, but it's certainly valuable. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, as a Christian, you need to learn how to live worthy of Jesus. You need to not take Jesus for granted. You need to understand what Jesus did for you. That's why I struggle to get through worshiping without crying. Because I realize what Jesus did for me. And when I, when I sing those words, Christ is enough for me. When I sing those words about my sin is behind me. When I read those words, when I, when I read and sing those words about being forgiven, it really means something to my heart deep down. Because I understand what Jesus did for me. By the way, wasn't our worship choir up here awesome today? Just helping, helping lead it spiritually from our stage. Thank you, worship choir, for all of you who showed up and rehearsed and practiced and got here early today to be a part of leading our church spiritually. He said you need to live worthy of Jesus. In Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, he said you need to mature spiritually. You need to grow up. You need to go from where you are and you need to begin to grow up spiritually. Uh, he said in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, you need to become a new person with a new way of thinking. These are just kind of the practical application points of the Apostle Paul. Live worthy of Jesus, mature spiritually. Become a new person who thinks differently. He said in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, live for Jesus. Like get up and think about how to live for Jesus. Don't just live for yourself. Don't just live for your own hopes and dreams and goals. Have hopes and dreams and goals. But live for Jesus. And then he said in Ephesians 5, 16 through 18, stay filled spiritually. Last week we said stay charged. We looked at cell phone chargers. And we said, just like our cell phone battery drains, our spiritual battery drains, we have to stay charged. We use the words uh, in our very first message of this series that you leak. Spiritually, we leak. You're like an old car that isn't able to hold all of its fluids anymore. And every time you drive, you leave a little puddle behind you. If you could see yourself spiritually, every day you're leaving a little puddle of Holy Spirit everywhere you go, you leak. So we have to stay filled up spiritually. So we look at this practical Christian living. I don't know that there's anyone in here today who would look at this list of five and say, I don't think those are important or I don't want to do those. I think we would look at those and say we aspire to live worthy of Jesus, to mature spiritually. 
We aspire to become new people with a new way of thinking. We want to live for Jesus. We want to stay filled spiritually. So the question is, well, how do I do this? Like, Paul, thanks for the challenge. I agree. I'd like to do all those things. How do I do that? We come to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And Paul says, finally. So I've told you how to live. Finally, let me show you how to do that now. Let me show you how to do these things. And in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, going through verse 17, Paul says, here's what you have to do every day. If you want to be this type of person, here's what you have to do every day. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Last week, we looked at seven ways to be charged spiritually. Throughout this series, we've looked at the fact that we leak spiritually. We've looked at good and we've looked at evil. We've studied about God and His angels and we've studied on Satan and His demons. And we should understand this spiritually a little bit. But we said last week we leak, so here's how we stay charged spiritually. This week, we don't learn how to get recharged spiritually. We learn how to put a protective case on ourselves spiritually. Have any of you ever had your, have any of you ever dropped your cell phone and had it break because you didn't have a proper case? Would you raise your hand? You've broken a cell phone at one point in time. Paul basically here is saying the contents of your spiritual life are way more valuable than your cell phone, than your iPad, than your computer. God has given us the greatest carrying case spiritually that could ever be given to you so that when the day of your drop comes, when, when the day of evil comes, when the time comes that you're really going to perhaps be tempted to struggle spiritually, you can be fine, you can stay plugged in, you can keep working, things will continue going strong spiritually. So how do we prepare for spiritual warfare? If you have your Bible, I want you to go to verse 13. And I want you to circle this phrase because this is the thought of spiritual warfare. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil Comes. You might underline those words, day of evil. And you might just understand you're going to have times in your life where you're going to be tempted, where you're going to be tested, where you're going to have the opportunity to do the wrong thing spiritually. Paul said, here's how to live your life in such a way so that when things come into your life that are going to kind of nudge you to do the wrong thing spiritually, here's a way to live your life so you do the right thing spiritually. And he, he, he talks about it as if it's a war, preparing for battle, putting on your spiritual armor, and he draws a picture for us of really the Roman soldier, which you can probably see in your head if you've seen in just a little bit. I'll show you pictures of the movie Gladiator, one of my favorite movies that I've ever watched. Um, Paul says, like the Roman soldier, you need to be protected for battle. So how do we prepare for spiritual warfare? We do three things. We do three things, and then we wear six things. Let me show you what those are. How do we prepare for spiritual warfare? First, according to Paul, we have to be strong in God's power. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord. 
I will ask you a question that I do not want you to answer out loud. Now, let me say that again because some of you are not paying attention and some of you will answer out loud because you, you, you'll just tune in like right when I get here. said, I'm going to ask you a question that I do not want you to answer out loud, but I want you to answer it in your heart. Do you believe you're a strong Christian? Do you believe you're a strong Christian? Because in Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be a strong Christian. See, the goal of this message, the goal of spiritual warfare, the goal of winning spiritually is to be a strong Christian. We need to understand that. We need to understand, secondly, that you don't have to embrace spiritual warfare. Like, you don't have to rattle your saber and say, come on, devil, you know, it's on. But you have to understand it according to verses 11 and 12. You don't have to be David. You don't have to run to the battle line and get up every day looking to kill a demon or to, or to overcome temptation. But you have to understand that from time to time you're going to be faced with spiritual circumstances where we talked about that three-legged race last week where God's going to say, we should go this way, and your flesh is going to say, we should go this way, and you're going to step in different directions and you're just going to fall down spiritually. We don't have to embrace the battle that rages in our soul spiritually, but we have to understand it. And Paul says, number three, once we understand it, we have to stay covered and protected spiritually. We have to stay covered and protected spiritually. How do we do that? Through what the Apostle Paul calls the spiritual armor. Be strong. Your day of struggle is coming. The day of evil is coming. Be strong in the Lord. You're not just fighting against people in everyday situations. The devil is real. Evil is real. Demons are real. Spiritual warfare is real. You've got to get yourself ready for it. How do I do that? Paul said just make sure every day you put on the spiritual armor. What is the spiritual armor so that we can understand it in our lives? Um, number one, Paul says you need to then, number one, put on the belt of truth. You need to put on the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now what's interesting, if, if you were to look at a picture of a Roman soldier, you would not see the belt of the Roman soldier. But just like we don't really see the belt of truth. A Roman soldier, is, as you could understand, a Roman soldier wore several things on his armor, but he would wear kind of a long burlapy tunic that basically covered his shoulders to his knees. And then in addition to that, he would wear a layer of mail or, or basically kind of as light as they could make it, metals that were put together so a sword couldn't go through. But those were big flowing pieces of fabric and metal that, that really would hinder the soldier from doing anything. None of the rest of his armor could go through until he put his belt on so that he could keep the things that were most precious to him tight, tightest to him and then he would put on the rest of his armor, but the belt would be the thing that held everything together, but the thing that no one saw. Now, what's so interesting is Paul says the Christian, one of the greatest pieces of armor that the Christian has is truth. And what's so interesting is one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is lies. And I want you to look at John chapter 8, verse 44, because I was actually talking to one of the people in our church about this verse today. Every lie that you have ever been, ever been told, every lie that you have ever told, every lie you've been tempted to tell has come directly from Satan, according to Scripture. In John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to some people who spiritually are disconnected, and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. So every lie you've ever been told, 
Every lie you've ever told, every lie you've ever considered telling, every lie you've ever told yourself comes directly from the Satan. See, God said one of the greatest pieces of spiritual armor you can have is the truth. Why is that? Because the greatest weapon that Satan uses are lies. And then I heard something at a marriage conference two weeks ago that I had never really thought about before, but that is so true. And I want you to think about it this way. What, what I'm beginning to learn in life is that Satan, most of the times in us, works through what's known in psychology as self-talk. Satan works in the inside of people's hearts and minds, and he works most of the time in how you're dialoguing with yourself. So I heard at a marriage conference a few weeks ago that, that the average person can speak up to 20,000 words a day to themselves in self-talk. Just nonstop conversation going on in your head. Up to 20,000 words on some days. And I read in a, in a psychology journal just this week that 75% of the thoughts that we think are negative, counterproductive, or they work against us. So Paul says the most important thing you need to do, if you're going to win the spiritual battles, you have to be able... You have to be able to tell yourself the truth because your head and your heart are going to be filled with lies about yourself spiritually and about the world around you spiritually. This week, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, uh, Danielle was sitting at the kitchen table and I was sitting on the couch and I was working on my laptop. And she said, Christian, I, um, I need you to come look at my ear. Uh, like I've got this thing on my ear. Like I think I have like skin cancer on my ear. And I said, you don't have skin cancer on your ear. And she's like, no, I need you to come look at my ear. And I, you know, from 20 feet away, I was like, it's fine. And she's like, no, come look at my ear. So I went over and I look at her ear and I'm like, it's a nasty, it's got like a nasty looking thing on it. And I mean, it's peeling and it's, it's like beyond scabbish. And I looked at it and I was like, that's like, that's not good. And she's like, well, what do you think it is? And I was like, I don't know, but it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. And she said, well, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should call the dermatologist and, and, like, have them look at that. Like, that really doesn't look good. So she says, okay. So you can tell she's worried, and I'm worried. And she goes upstairs to get her cell phone, and I go back to work, and I'm kind of praying a little bit. And she comes down, like, five or ten minutes later. And I said, hey, did you call the doctor? And she's, like, smiling. And she said, no, I just remember I burned it with the curling iron. And I thought, you know, like, I prayed for you, you know, like... <laughs> I was just figuring out how you were going to be able to wear your glasses with one ear. Like, like I, you know, I took this to heart. And you burned yourself with a curling iron? And you forgot about that? You know, I was thinking about that as I, as I was processing this. And I thought, man, how many cancerous lies does Satan tell our spirit that aren't true? How many cancerous lies does he, does he implant in us that he, that he just tells us our marriage will never work? It'll never get better. Our kids will never come to faith in Jesus. Our broken spirit will never be put back together. I, t- I talked to one of the folks in our church this week who made a statement to me just in passing conversation that she had been divorced and remarried for seven years before she realized that like God really forgave her you know we have people in our congregation who have been divorced who their first marriage has failed that you've been listening to these cancerous lies god can't use me anymore i've blown it my chances pass me by 
the father of lies is in your head through all this self-talk. And you have 20,000 words sometimes a day rolling through your head just telling you why you can't make it spiritually, why you won't make it spiritually, why it's not worth sacrificing spiritually. And all day long, Satan is berating you. And Paul said, man, make sure you put on that belt of truth so that everything doesn't fall apart. Because most of Satan's lies, they're just like that curling iron. Like if you would just remember the truth, it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's not what God says about my marriage. That's not what God says about my past. That's not what God says about my future. That's not what God says about forgiveness. That's not what God says about restoration. And if we would quit listening to the lies of Satan, we would begin listening to the truth of God. I think our lives would be radically impacted forever. So Paul says, listen, man, if you want to stand strong spiritually, you got to start listening to the truth. And when the devil speaks lies to you, you know, when, when, when I was a, a little kid, I used to try to lie to my mom and dad. And it's funny until you're a parent, you know, you think your mom and dad will never know, you know, and you tell your mom and dad a lie. And my dad would always say to me, look me in the eye and tell me that. And like, I could never look my dad in the eye and lie. I don't know whether I was afraid he was going to kill me or whether, you know, I don't know what it was, but I could not look my dad in the eye and lie. And the apostle Paul says in second Corinthians chapter 10 verses four and five, I want you to hear this when it comes to the thoughts in your head about your life, about your future. Paul says the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. That means they're not fleshy, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul said basically every thought that comes into your head about your past, about your future, about your current state with God, about your ability to serve God, about your ability to be used by God, every spiritual thought that comes into your head, you, you stop and you put it in jail and you make that thought look God squarely in the eyes and speak it because the devil does not have the ability to look the Holy Spirit in the eyes and lie. Just like I didn't have the ability to look my dad in the eyes and lie, we have to learn how to make our thoughts look the Holy Spirit in the eye and speak what they're speaking because the belt of truth will often take the lies of the devil and, and he'll just he'll make us remember that's not true. That was just a curling iron. There is nothing wrong with me. He'll make us remember what was true. Uh, armor item number two. So we want to wear the, the belt of truth. Armor item number two. Paul says then you have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I find this so interesting when, when I think about this as a piece of armor because this word righteousness is, righteousness most simply defined, righteousness is right living. And we often think of righteousness or right living or the rules of Christianity, we often think of those as burdens. But this is not a burden of righteousness. This is a breastplate of righteousness because the soldier's vital organs were protected by the breastplate that wouldn't allow anything to puncture the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the liver, all the other vital organs you carry. And the spiritual breastplate, the spiritual organs in our life are protected by right living. Our Christian life is protected by right living. Our marriages are protected by right living. Our jobs are protected by right living. Our emotions are protected by right living. And it's funny that Paul would say the thing that really protects you spiritually the most is living the way that God intended you to live. We kind of think that, that that's a leash that we're not allowed to get off of. But Paul said, actually, that's the thing that's protecting you. It's not holding you back. It's protecting you. And James 1.15 
James says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So the breastplate of righteousness helps us live the way God wants us to live. Sin, the lies of the devil in our head, sin teaches us to live the way God tells us not to live. And it eventually leads to spiritual death. It's pretty simple. Right living rewards spiritually. Sin screws up spiritually. Some of you are in here. Listen to me. If you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness in your life, your life is very quickly headed for a mess. Your job, your marriage, your friendships, your parenting, your relationships. Some of you in this room today are doing things that are wrong spiritually. And if you want to stay strong spiritually, you have to wear the breastplate of righteousness. You have to begin to do things the right way like God says to do them. Because that protects you spiritually. Right living rewards sin screws up spiritually. Armor item number three. Man, this is one that really ministered to me this week. So I don't know that I'd ever understood it until this week. But the Apostle Paul says you need to have your feet fitted with readiness. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, Paul says, Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I always read that and think spiritual shoes, but I don't know why. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I thought, what does that mean? So I broke out all my commentaries and thought, what, you know, what, like, what does this mean? And here's what I learned. And I believe I've always learned this incorrectly. I learned that the Roman soldier, because they didn't have cleats back in the day, the Roman soldier would take chunks of iron, metal, rocks, and they would figure out a way to fuse those to the bottom of the leather sandals that they wore. Because often in warfare, they were climbing up hills or they were in muddy battlefields. And one of the things that gave the Romans a distinct advantage over the people that they were fighting is they had great footwear and they were, they were able to stand their ground in battle. And, you know, and I read this, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Like, does that mean we're supposed to go tell people about Jesus? What does that mean? And I read from Dr. John MacArthur this week, and Dr. MacArthur said, so often people take this to mean that one of, one of our pieces of armor is telling people about Jesus. That's not what it means at all. Every piece of armor is defensive, which means these are pieces given to us to allow us to prepare for attacks, not to attack, except for the sword of the spirit, which is still given for defense. And he said, here's the thought. He said, the gospel of peace is supposed to allow us to sink in spiritually when the when the attacks come and they begin to push us backwards spiritually. He said, the gospel, the good news is supposed to keep our soul at peace so we don't, we don't live with inner turmoil. You see, the feet fitted with readiness, it's the spiritual stability that you and I should have for being at peace with God's love for us. See, one of the things that I find hurts people the most spiritually is questioning whether or not God really loves them. Questioning whether or not God really forgives them. And I see a lot of people who get pushed back spiritually because they're not at peace with, with God. They're not at peace with how God views them. They're not at peace with how God sees them. And they always feel ashamed. So when Satan comes against them, he just kind of pushes them back spiritually instead of them standing and saying, no, I'm at peace with my God. I know my God loves me. I know my God pursued me. I know my God has forgiven me. I know my God has given me a second chance. There's this thought that instead of having a stable Christian life that's rooted in, I'm at peace with God because I've got a relationship with Jesus. Satan comes at us and we slide backwards because we're not at peace with where we stand with God. And I read this this week and I thought, man, that's powerful. 
because that's me. So often I wonder where I stand with God. And for the first 28 years of my life, I never thought I was good enough for God. And I always questioned how God could love me. And I always questioned whether or not God really wanted to use me. And I always thought if I slip up a little bit that God can't use me anymore. And I was not at peace with myself spiritually. And I learned that if I'm going to walk with God, I've got to be able to just sink down so that when Satan starts attacking me with these lies in my head, you're not good enough, you can't do it, it failed last time, this church will never work, no one will ever give, and then if you do get started, you'll never be able to get a building. You know how the self-talk thing works, right? And if you do get a building, you won't be able to afford it, and on and on. You know, all these lies we speak to ourselves. We just kind of have to hunker down, put our cleats in the ground and say, you know what? I'm ready. Give me your best shot because I'm at peace with my relationship with God. Are you at peace with your relationship with God today? If not, you need to learn how to put on the shoes that are fitted with helping you understand the good news. God loves you. Jesus died for you. God wants to embrace you where you are. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about who you were. He doesn't care what you've done. He'll take you right now as you are. And he will create a beautiful new heart inside you and begin to lead you in a life that will help you bring glory to God, in a life that you were intended to live. That's the peace that we have of walking with God. Armor item number four. Paul says you need to always have with you the shield of faith. You need to have with you the shield of faith. Now, here's what's interesting about Christianity in 2013. I'm convinced today that most Christians, not only with the struggle, not only struggle with the concept of embracing faith, I believe that many Christians today see faith as a sign of weakness. I believe there are not a lot of Christians, let me say that again, who not only struggle with the concept of embracing faith, but they see faith as a sign of weakness. Say, so what do you mean by that? I think there's a, there are a lot of Christians who, who they don't think faith is enough. They have to have faith in facts. They have to have faith in reason. And if they can't figure it out, they, they, think it's, they think it's the coward's way out to say, I don't know, but I believe it. And they've tried, they basically have tried to remove faith from the equation of Christianity. In Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence of what we hope for. And it's the assurance about what we don't see. It's faith. It's, confident, it's confidence and assurance in things that this side of eternity we can never really totally be confident and assured of it's faith and paul says one of the christian's main pieces of armor is being able to embrace faith now i told you one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie gladiator with russell crowe maybe you have seen this movie i I tell you this not to go watch this movie but if you have seen this movie you you know what i'm talking about It's, it's a great movie and really, we learn a lot about the spiritual armor. We can learn a lot about the spiritual armor just looking at Russell Crowe and how he was dressed in this movie. And the Roman soldiers had two types of shields that they carried. Um, one was called a grappling shield. And I think they're showing pictures behind me. This is the grappling shield. Go to the next picture if you would. Um, they would carry the grappling shield into hand-to-hand combat. It fit on your forearm, looked like a trash can lid. And when you were one-on-one with another soldier in the force of battle, you would carry the, the grappling shield. And this would be the shield that when you were in one-on, one-on-one battle you used. And there was a specific Greek word for this type of shield, and Paul didn't use that word. 
There was also what was called in the Roman army the battle line shield. And I'm not sure how this picture is going to look. You can barely see it there to Russell Crowe's um, right on that picture. These were shields that were almost four feet high, about three feet wide. And they actually, when you went into battle, go to the next picture if you would, they actually fit together like this. The Romans were the first one to ever figure out how to have interlocking uh, battle line shields. So they could march into a battle and literally they could lock their shields together from on top, from in front, and they could walk into anything spiritually, not because they were going to knock off a sword and go on offense, but because they weren't afraid to play defense. And Paul says the devil is constantly going to be shooting flaming arrows at you. And you're not going to be able to knock them all down one at a time. And there are some times that it's okay to just duck behind your faith and say, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm just going to stay behind my shield till Satan quits attacking. And I think Christians see that as weakness, not having all the answers, not understanding all the things of faith. I tell people, I've told several people this during this series, I don't really grasp, I mean, seriously grasp the thought of Satan and demons and angels. I don't, I don't understand all that, but I believe all of it. And there are some days that I just have to put my shield in the ground and just kind of hide and wait. But I'm okay with doing that because I want to be protected from the flaming arrows of the devil. And can you imagine if we had not only one person in a church that was willing to do that, but can you imagine if we had a church filled with people who would get together side by side And they say, I got my shield, you got your shield. And we would have guys behind us. Can you imagine how we can march into Lee Summit and Cass County and the communities that we serve in Overland Park and Olathe right now and and Raymore and Peculiar and Belton and Grandview and Blue Springs? Can you imagine how we could walk into a community together spiritually and be shielded from the devil if we just say, you know, we're not sure how this is going to work, but we have our faith. We just are going to trust that God's going to do it. And you put the shield on top, and I'll put the shield in front, and we might hear all kinds of banging on top of us with with arrows coming down everywhere. But literally, if we will lock shields together, we cannot be touched. See, the Romans could not be touched as a military because they were totally protected. This is the word that Paul used when he said, take up the shield of faith. He said, listen, sometimes you just have to hide behind God, and that's okay. In Psalm 91, one of the greatest psalms ever written, the psalmist said, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Whoever will just get inside the protection of God and just trust, you'll be okay. And it's funny how we want to run out and debate every skeptic and agnostic and atheist we have when sometimes the correct faith answer is, I don't know the answer to all the questions, but I trust in my God. And sometimes I just have to live in faith. If we don't have faith, the arrows of the devil will will pierce us. Armor item number five. Paul says, after all this, make sure you take up the helmet of salvation. Make sure you take up the helmet of salvation. Because we learn scripturally that without salvation, there is no spiritual journey. And I think something interesting is, is happening in churches. And, and I'll use a football analogy to, to tell you what I think is happening. Um, a few weeks ago, the National Football League, or NFL, as, uh, as maybe you understand it, agreed to a settlement of $765 million with 18,000 former NFL players for basically this reason. They said, we admit, by settling this, we admit that for the last 50 years, we did not take issues of protecting the head serious enough. 
And there's a lot of you who will have a lifetime of difficulty because we did not tell you how important it was to protect the head first. And they're making new helmets and new headgear and new face masks because they've realized now the head is, is the most important. You've got you to protect your head. And I fear that there are a lot of churches who are letting people participate in everything spiritually, but they've not first solidified salvation. Like, listen, just come to church and learn the truth and read your Bible and get baptized, but, but people have never experienced salvation. Like they're out running around playing football and they don't have their helmet on. And they love church and they like to read their Bible. I Three weeks ago, I was standing outside shaking hands after the 1045 service. And someone came up to me and said, hey, I want to get baptized. And I said, why? And he said, well, I just, aren't you supposed to do that? And I said, well, have you, like, have you given your heart to Jesus? Said, what does that mean? I just want to be baptized. And I thought, how many people have been baptized and confirmed and catechized and VBSed and communioned? And they've got all these religious experience, but they don't have salvation. How many people do we have running around playing church without, without their helmet on? You know, John 3.3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It's the thought of a date and a time where you experience a rebirth spiritually. Can, can any of you imagine ever going to a cemetery and seeing on a headstone, date born, question mark, date of death and a date? So a lot of people in the church, when you say, hey, when did you become a Christian? They say things, I've just always been a Christian. Not according to John 3, 3. When did you become a Christian? Oh, some, you know, I just, you know, I, no, no, no. When did you be, like, what day? The interesting thing about our spiritual tombstone is it has a birth date on it, but no death date because we don't ever die spiritually. So our spiritual tombstone says born again this day. And then, like, you're kind of born forever from that day. When's the day you put on the helmet spiritually? Because Paul says if you put on all the other armor but you don't have on your helmet, that's not going to be good for you spiritually. And he said after you get dressed, armor item number six, he said, make sure you carry with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, if we read through Scripture, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but we find out that God's Word should protect us. And sometimes the sword is meant for protection. There's another sword coming at us so we can stop one of the blows of Satan from coming to us. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus was protected by God's Word. Sometimes God's Word should pierce us. It should cut things out of our life, and it should cut us right to the heart where we begin to think about things differently than we've ever thought about them before. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Sometimes God's Word should pierce us. And my hope is that today, some of you have been pierced by God's Word. My hope is that today, some of you for the first time in your life, have heard about that belt of truth and you realize that the devil has been in your head telling you cancerous lies, that if you were just to stop and think about it and, and put the truth alongside it, you would think that's not true. That's not what God says about this situation. That's not what God says about my marriage. My hope is that some of you today have been pierced by the breastplate of righteousness because you, you're not living the right way, yet you want all the protection of God. It doesn't work that way. You, you can't have all the protection of God without the righteousness that God requires and challenges us to live. 
Some of you have had an, an entire existence in church. You've been baptized in this and that and everything else. But you've not had a salvation experience. You have, you have no date on your spiritual tombstone. And for some of you, maybe, maybe it's something else that was said. The spiritual thought at the end of this, and, and I don't say pardon the pun because I intend it, so you'll never think about this again uh, without thinking about this. The smartest Christians will purposely live under armor. And I say that because some of you wear Under Armour shirts, Under Armour sweatshirts, Under Armour shorts, Under Armour hats. My hope is that for the rest of your life when you see the little upside down you and you on top, for the rest of your life you'll think about the spiritual armor. Because Paul's challenge to Christians in Ephesians 6 is if you want to be safe spiritually, if you want to be protected spiritually, if you want to live for God spiritually, you need to live under the armor. Why? Because I want to be strong spiritually. Why? Because I want to be I want to live worthy of Jesus. Why? Because I want to become spiritually mature. Why? Because I want to be a new person with a new spirit that thinks differently. Why? Because I want to live for Jesus. Why? Because I want to be strong in the Lord. You see, Paul told the church in Ephesians, here's six challenges for you. Ah, Paul, how do we do that? Just put on the armor, put on the armor and the pieces you're missing. Put those on, too. And every day, put them all on and live your life protected the way God wants you to be protected. So what is your next step today? As we pray, I want you to think about that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And as we get ready to pray this morning, what is your spiritual next step today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. The most crucial, critical, crucial step that anyone can ever take And I don't want to discount this, and I don't want to make it sound like this is not a big deal. This is the biggest deal ever. The most critical, crucial, spiritual step you can ever take is a step of salvation. Is putting on the helmet of salvation and knowing that on this day, at this time, at this moment, this is when I decided to commit my life and my heart to Jesus. This is not a church thing. This is a Jesus thing. And I want to decide to live for Jesus and know every day for the rest of my life, regardless of how much time I've spent in church, I know today I said, Jesus, save me. If that's you today, just a minute, I'm going to pray and help you learn how to do that. And then we're going to take steps as a church to walk with you in your salvation and your Christianity. Maybe today your next step is right living. You're a Christian. You've had a salvation experience. You've been expecting God to bless you, but you are not living the right way. You are doing and living in ways that you know God has told you not to. And your next step today is to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which means you have to put off the old self. Maybe today your step is to place big faith in a big God and quit being embarrassed about having faith. And quit being ashamed that you don't have all the answers. And realize that it's okay every now and then to take that battle line shield in the midst of difficult situations. And just to get down behind it until the war is over. And just to let God protect you. Or maybe some of you are like me and your mind never turns off. And 75% of the time it's speaking lies. They come from the devil telling you you're not good enough. You can't be used anymore. You blew your first and your last chance. You can't start over. You can't be forgiven. People will judge you if they know the real you. All these lies of Satan, you need to put on the belt of of truth and make those lies look the Holy Spirit in the eye because they cannot lie to God. And you need to put away those cancerous lies. 
and begin to live in the truth. Whatever your step is today, would you just take a moment in your chair right now? You know, this this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed in an attitude of prayer, I just want you to be in a spirit of prayer. Listen to me. This morning I got here at 6.02. Not because I have to, but I like to. And I set up every chair in this place. It's just it's kind of my thing. And as I set up these chairs, I prayed over everyone, knowing that someone would sit in them. And I prayed that God would use this chair today as a place where someone could meet with Him. The chair you're sitting in, I prayed for. And I prayed that whoever would be sitting in it, and that's you, that today they could have a moment with God in that chair, in that place. Some of you need that today. What's happening right now in your moment with God, with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you're in here today and you need to confirm and nail down, or maybe just start brand new with the salvation experience, if that is the attitude and the desire of your heart, but you don't even know how to pray or say the right words, then would you just pray these words? I'll, I'll say them. You don't even have to speak them out loud. But would you just pray these in your heart this morning? Dear God, today I need salvation. I need spiritual protection from my earthly life. I need spiritual protection from my past. I need forgiveness for the life that I have lived up until now. And I need spiritual protection for my future and for my eternity. Today, God, by faith. Which means I don't understand it all, but I believe it all by faith. I ask that you would forgive me. That you would save me from sin. And from an eternity without God. And I ask today that Jesus would be my Savior. And that I could experience salvation. And a reconciliation in my relationship with God. So I can be close to God. God, today this is my prayer. Today I want to put on the helmet of salvation. And know I'm protected spiritually.